listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. We're starting a new series today called Then Sings My Soul. If you were around here last year at this time, we did a series by the same title, Then Sings My Soul. So in a very clever way, we decided to title this one, Then Sings My Soul, Volume 2. <laughs> if you come next year at this time, we're going to have a series called Then Sings My Soul, Volume 3. <laughs> you understand what's happening there. We do this because uh, songs are powerful. Songs are a big part of our lives. It's a part of Scripture. Songs are a gift of God, the combination of words and music. And often, you know, lyrics to songs are poetic because they're trying to give words to the music. But music itself is not translatable. Music is a form of communication that words always fall short of translating. The first song that we sang today and during our praise and worship, and I've just forgotten the name of it. What was the first song you all sang? Good, good grace, yeah. The, the chorus, I guess, of good grace was, oh, 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 I'm not a singer. But go with me. And then in this song that uh, Mikkel just sang for us, there was a section there that he just sang, oh, 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 oh. So what, what, is, what does the word oh mean? I'll tell you what it means. It means that something is being said in our souls, in our bodies, in our emotions, that words themselves, no matter how poetic, can't say. Like, when you are overcome with joy and tears form in your eyes, there are no words that those tears can say. The tears themselves are the communication. When, when you're overwhelmed with sadness and you cry, there are no words that can communicate the depth of that sadness. The tears are the communication. The same I would be said with laughter. Like, I don't care how poetic you are, you can't say to someone how funny you thought something was other than, or better than, a deep, hearty laugh. Like, laughter is a form of communication. Tears are a form of communication. Our faces are a form of communication. And over the last year and a half or so, this is something that we've struggled with. Like when you are out in public, I don't know, aisle six at Publix, and you see someone else, you can't tell whether or not they're smiling at you. But smiling at someone, a smile is a form of communication that, again, we can offer some words to explain. And I think poetry sometimes can explain it maybe better than straightforward communication can. But still, nothing communicates as well as the smile does. So smiling and crying and laughing, these are forms of communication. Music itself, the song, the, not, not just songs, but music. So not just the lyrics, the combination of songs and music, but just the music, the chords that are played. Like sometimes I hear people talk about Christian music and secular music. But what they mean by that is Christian songs and secular songs. They don't actually mean Christian music. Right? There is no such thing as Christian music. 
like what are the Christian chords? C, E, and G, right? And what are, what are the ungodly chords? So apparently the minor, you know, the minor chords. No one wants those. Ugh. Right? That's like a horror movie or something. That must not be from God. <laughs> right? Music is just music. And the power of that is what we want to connect with you and want you to connect with. Like one of the things uh, we're going to do is we're going to be sharing a um, playlist of the songs like this one that Mikkel did for us today, uh, 100 Years by Five for Fighting. We're going to share a playlist that we're preaching from during this series, but we also want you to contribute songs. Like what are the songs in your lives that mean something to you? The songs that speak to you, the songs that you know, you can hear and it reminds you of a certain time in your life. Because songs are not something that we listen to just once, right? You, like your favorite joke or your favorite movie or your favorite book or your favorite song isn't your favorite because you heard it once upon a time and then you never visit it again, right? That's why maybe in this time in our lives, kind of modern technology with this, all the different streaming services, Particularly during quarantine, a lot of us have binge watched various shows and we're kind of always on the lookout for a new show to watch. Or we're just as happy to rewatch our favorite shows. And the reason we can rewatch our favorite shows or rewatch our favorite movies or re listen to our favorite songs or reread our favorite books is because they have etched something into our soul. And it functions in a way of kind of giving us life. For the Hebrews, their songbook was what we call the book of Psalms. In our Wednesday night Bible study series, which we started this summer, we made our way through Ephesians and then Philemon, and then we spent the last 10 weeks looking at the book of Revelation. Well, starting this Wednesday night, we're going to start a series on the Psalms. And that series on the Psalms will parallel this series on Then Sings My Soul, uh, Volume 2. And uh, as we get into this, I mean, I do want to talk about this particular song, 100 Years. I'm a real sucker for songs that speak about a rite of passage. I love songs that talk about life. So maybe one of my favorites is Mike and the Mechanics, The Living Years. I don't know if you know that one. You should look it up. It's a lesser-known British band, but it tells the story of a man reflecting on his life and uh, the birth of his child and the kind of difficult relationship he had with his father and the, the way he remembered his father and kind of his, in the voice of his uh, child. It's a beautiful song. Another one I love is called Things I Prayed For, also by a little-known band called Eli. Um, a kid's kind of talking about the ways in which his prayers have changed over the years. Things he prayed for as a child versus things he prayed for as an adolescent, things he prayed for as a young adult, things he prayed for in middle age, and how that kind of shifted. I mean, some of it's a little silly, like when he's young, he's praying that his hair will stick up in all the right places. When he's a little older, he's praying his hair won't fall out in all the wrong places, right? I love those things. But before we get into 100 years, I just want to say just a bit more about why we have a series like this and how important I think it is. Because we've, a lot of you have been in church all your lives. 
and you know what church is supposed to do, right? It's supposed to somehow educate you about the life with God. But there's a gap between knowing what to do and actually doing it, right? Paul will write about this in Romans 7. He says, that which I want to do, I don't do, and that which I don't want to do, I do. I mean, you know, we've all found ourselves there sometimes, right? So it's not a matter of just knowing what's right. It's a matter of somehow doing what's right. Or it's not just a matter of not doing what's wrong. It's a matter of somehow just, just getting it done, right? And, and I think the gap is this. We aren't simply minds that understand things. We're hearts that feel things. And we're bodies, right, that, that embody or live out things. Uh, we, we need a more holistic uh, anthropology to kind of understand who we actually are as human beings. Um, Leonard Sweet wrote a book a number of years ago called Dancing the Soul Salsa. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Appreciate it. Dancing the Soul Salsa. And the first chapter in that book is called Mezuzah, Your Universe. So a mezuzah is a, a small container that's placed on a doorway. Sometimes they're made of wood. Sometimes they're made of uh, metal. Sometimes they're made of stone. Um, but you'll see them particularly in Jewish settings. It's a Jewish practice. And the mezuzah will often have on it a sheen. It's one of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. It looks a bit like a W. And it's the first letter of the Hebrew word Shema, which means hear or listen. And Shema is then, it's a, it's a shortened ver, form of a, of a motto, of a mantra. It's Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, and some other verses. But hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. And that passage of scripture gets rolled up on a little scroll, stuck into the mezuzah, and then placed on the doorway. And the idea is, as you go out the door, you'll touch it or kiss it. And as you come in the door, you'll do the same. And it's a physical reminder that we live according to the word of the Lord. It's an embodied way to, to practice the faith. There's this, again, passage in Deuteronomy that talks about passing the, the word of the Lord from generation to generation. And he talks about binding it to their hands and to their foreheads and placing it on their doorpost. And that placing it on their doorpost became the practice of using this mezuzah. So what Sweet is doing in his book, so mezuzah is a noun. It refers to that little, you know, little box of a thing that goes on your doorpost. Have you seen these? Some, some of you have seen them? Like in certain places you see them you know, kind of everywhere. But <clears throat> mezuzah, Sweet is using it as a verb. He's telling us to mezuzah our universe. That is to practice life in such a way that we realize that which reminds us of things and that's what shapes us is not just our ideas, but our practices. And so I imagine that you've all experienced this in some way, fashion or another. Like when I used to go to my grandmother's house, nanny, we called her. Anybody else have a nanny? Really? I'm the only one with a nanny? What do you call your grandmothers? You had a nanny? Grandma, okay, fair enough, that's a good one. <laughs> All right, so we went to Nanny's house. Nanny's, Nanny's house had a particular aroma. And I'm calling it an aroma, may she rest in peace. It wasn't the most pleasant smell. 
But it did smell like Nanny's house, and I loved her. And I don't, I didn't know, I don't know of anywhere else, and I, to this day I can't tell you what the smell was, and I don't know anywhere else that ever smelled quite like that. But that smell, to me now, is the smell of love. It's the smell of care. It, it means that something, um, it connects to me. It's like my body has a memory that is beyond just my brain. Musicians. Obviously, I'm not a musician. You heard me try and sing earlier. Uh, athletes. Once again, it might be obvious I'm not an athlete. But um, I'm going to speak a little bit about such things. So uh, musicians and athletes and uh, thespians. Uh, I was looking for Gretchen, but there she is. And thespians. They, they'll rehearse and they'll practice and they'll practice and they'll practice. Perhaps you've heard the old adage that practice makes perfect. Have you heard that before? That's wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's a lie. Uh, it's a lie from the devil. Practice does not make perfect. Practice makes permanent patterns. You ask anybody who's tried to correct their golf swing, right? Or somebody who's tried to correct their, their, their baseball swing or their tennis swing. Or is it pickleball? Right? That's a Burek's play. Look, if you practice something enough and it's the wrong way, it's difficult to unlearn it. Right? So practice makes permanent patterns. But it's that, it's that permanent pattern that I'm interested in here. Like, we, we'll say sometimes that if we do it enough, it becomes second nature. So like when musicians are rehearsing, they're rehearsing and rehearsing and rehearsing with their fingers on their instruments, with their breath, so that it becomes like second nature when, when they do it. And, and that, that's important because when it comes time to perform, when it comes time to play, you don't want to have to be thinking about it. Like in, a, in athletics, we'll talk about somebody getting in the zone. And what I'm saying is in our spiritual life, we have certain practices that we can do beyond just what we think or say, that if we do them enough, It'll become second nature to us so that when we get in tough times in our lives, we can just get in the zone and we're not having to think, well, what should I do now? I'm just, I'm just in the zone. Think about like when you drive a car and most of our lives, it seemed like all of our cars were standard um, transmissions, right? So we had to change the gears ourselves. And when you're first learning to drive a standard transmission, if, if you can remember back that far, it's, it's difficult, or if you, in some cases, if you can imagine what it'll be like in a few years. Um, it's difficult, right? You have to let off the gas, you gotta put, push in the clutch, you gotta change the gear, and now, after the gear's been changed, you gotta uh, let back off the clutch and push, push the gas, but it all has to be smooth. And of course, when you're learning it, it's not very smooth, right? It's looked like people, the car is trying to play hopscotch. You know, you've seen that. You're like, oh no, student driver, I'm going to get in this lane. So, but once you've driven it for a while, you, you no longer think about changing gears, right? You could be listening, you could be talking, you could be on your phone, but you never think about changing gears after you've done it for a while, once it's become second nature. I'll tell a little story on my wife. I don't see her here, so this, this is probably safe. So we were living overseas, and we were pretty poor. We didn't have a car. We didn't have a TV. 
um, and we walked everywhere we went. But then we had some friends kind of gift us this long weekend. They said, here, go on holiday. Here's some resources. And so we rented a car, and we were going to go to Scarborough, just like Simon and Garfunkel sang. <laughs> you know the Scarborough Fair? No Simon and Garfunkel fans? Okay, there you go. Thank you. We went to the Scarborough Fair. It was great. And so as we got the car, though, we go to sit in it, and, and we're going to we're gonna have to drive on the right, not on the left, but the steering wheel's on the right, not on the left. And then the gear shift is on the left. Oh, right. Right? So, you, you know, Angela and I, we're like in our mid-20s. We're like, what, you want to drive? I don't want to drive. You want to drive? I mean, we both wanted to drive because we wanted the experience, but neither, one, neither wanted to drive because who wants to take the chance, right? So I don't know how many times this happened to Angela, but as she was driving, because you know when you're supposed to shift gear, it's second nature. Her right hand would reach out to grab the gear shift and hit the door. And then she'd have to reach over with her left hand and change gears, right? So I, I have no way of knowing exactly how many times her hand hit the door, but I'm ready to say it was exactly the same number of times she actually changed gears. So for that long weekend that we had that car, I don't know that she ever reached out with her left hand first. It was always second. Because it's, again, it's etched into the, like a deep part of who we are, almost like our, our subconscious, you know. It is, it's just part of who we are. That's the way music works. That's the way um, songs work. It's the way smells work. It's the way taste works. I've told this story before, but it, it seems to fit this uh, this sermon as well. So when, when Angela and I first, another Angela story, when Angela and I first uh, started dating, um, we, you know, we both grew up in very conservative Pentecostal homes. And so for us, music was divided between the sacred and the secular. And we didn't do that secular stuff. I mean, I didn't. Angela, she, she did. But, <laughs> but anyway, when we were dating, um, one of the kind of the lead Christian singers at the time was a very young Michael W. Smith. And he had just come up with a new album called Eye to Eye. And we had gotten the cassette, I'm dating myself here a bit. And if, if you remember those old cassettes, you'd have to put it in the player and you would press play and, and the first song would play, right? That's just how it works, right? You, you didn't, without MP3s or whatever we have now, um, you couldn't just listen to whatever song you wanted. And back in the day, only one or two songs from any given album would be on, a, on the radio. So this was one of the few songs that was on the radio. It was the first song on side one of his Eye to Eye. It was called Providence. So we heard the song over and over and over. We heard it because we always played the cassette. We heard it because it was one of the few songs that he had that was currently on the radio. And you know how the radio likes to kill your favorite song by overplaying it? Yeah. So <clears throat> at that time in my life, I'm listening to that song kind of constantly, right? At that time in my life, I'm also kind of falling in love with Angela. And their falling in love has a particular sensation. Like it feels a certain way. And it feels good, <laughs> And if, if we could bottle that 
and if we could repeat it, um, we would do it all the time. I think, and I'm not an expert on this, but I think one of the reasons in our culture, and maybe especially in certain parts of our culture, where, where marriages are very, very short, or relationships are short, it's because they can last as long as the falling in love lasts. But once you're actually in love or you're in a commitment and it changes, then they think, oh no, that must be done. I'm ready for something else. I'm constantly kind of in the, I'm in the hunt for the adrenaline of that falling in love feeling. Again, I think if I could, if I could make a candle and it produced a scent of falling in love and it produced that sensation in people, I'd be a multi-billionaire. People would buy it. They would love it. So years later, six or seven years later, we were moving, and as we're cleaning out our stuff and packing up, I ran into that old Michael W. Smith cassette. Not thinking about anything other than, oh, look, there's that old cassette. I reach over, and I stick it in the player, and I press play. The first couple of chords play, and the rush of falling in love came over me. Like, I felt that feeling. And I turned and looked, and there was Angela looking back at me, and I was quite confident she was feeling what I was feeling. Now, I've played that song several times since then in hopes that it was going to produce that again, and it didn't. <laughs> again, this is, this is not something like super mechanical. It's not something that we can just, we can just produce. But, but my body had a memory kind of like shifting gears, or like a golf swing, or a musician playing the keys, right? There was a certain memory at some place in my body, right, that wasn't just in my head, that was somehow connected with the song. Think about this yourself. Um, how many poems do you think you could recite? Zero? <laughs> One? Two? How many songs could you sing the lyrics to if the music was playing? 10, 20? Some of you, 100 or more, right? So the, the memory that of the lyrics of the songs, a lyric is just a, it's just a form of poetry. So why is it that you can sing so many songs but can recite so few poems? It's because the music is connecting, again, to a different part of who you are. And that's the power of music. And that's the power of song. And that's why we need to, to borrow again from Sweet, to kind of mezuzah our universe. And so the way we do that is we intentionally incorporate into our lives physical things to remind us of the spiritual realities that we're committed to. One of the classes I teach at the college is a course on Pauline literature. And I started this a year ago. I don't know, a few years ago, and I've been doing it ever since. And I, even don't, I don't even do it in my other classes. And don't ask me why. I don't really have a lot of rationale for what I do. But I started doing it in this course, and now it has stuck. I have this um, candle that's supposed to smell like a campfire. And it's got this thick wick that kind of flickers, and, and it clicks. It makes these sounds that sound like a campfire. And so every day at the beginning of Pauline Lit, I light that candle. And so all semester long, some 15 weeks, we meet twice a week, so that's you know, 30 times. The students, those who come, don't miss a class, 
the students who come will smell that smell. And my goal is that at some point later in their life, they're going to smell that, and somebody's going to say, what, what does that smell like? And that, that student's going to say, it smells like Pauline literature. <laughs> it, smells, it smells like something I know. It, it reminds me. It can bring things to me, right, deep in me. And again, what I was trying to say earlier, that music is its own form of communication, like music communicates without words. I mean, songs have words, and, and poetic songs, lyrics, can help communicate music. But music itself is deeper. It's deeper than any words. It's why sometimes when we sing songs, we, we do this kind of either scat talking or this oh, 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 oh bits, right? Because it, it's communic communicating something deep within us. Paul will say this too in his letter to the Romans. This is the next chapter after I don't do what I want to do and I do do what I shouldn't do kind of thing. He says this, the spirit will sometimes pray through us in sighs too deep for words. That doesn't sound much like a prayer, but according to Paul, it is one. And again, I think your tears can be as important of a prayer, your sighs can be as formative a prayer as the most theologically profound prayer you could think to come up with. Because it's, it's again, it's a form of embodiment that is deep, that is meaningful. And I know you've heard this all your life, that Christianity is, is something that we participate in. It's not just something that we, we are spectators of and that Christianity is not reducible to what we do on Sunday morning, but it's supposed to affect our whole lives, right? And so ministers will often spend a lifetime trying to get other people to connect, the, to connect Sunday morning to the rest of the week. Like, what's the gap between Sunday and Monday? It's like the hugest, it's like the Grand Canyon, you know? How can we connect people's commitment to God on the one hand to just everyday life on the other? But it's, it's part of what we're doing in the church calendar, right? We celebrate certain things like Advent and Christmas and Epiphany and Lent and Easter and Pentecost, but the longest part of the church calendar is ordinary time, just good old regular time, the mundane of trying to find God and you know, the good, the good and the bad, and, and just the every day. So how do, we, how do we live like that? This is why I think songs like 100 Years speak so much to me. Because they're, they, they, they call me to pause and to reflect. I was 15 for a moment. <laughs> Caught in between 10 and 20. And I had my life before me. I was 22 for a moment. I was 33 for a moment. I was 45 for a moment. Seems like yesterday. <laughs> a little more than yesterday. But <clears throat> I think all of life is a gift. And, and I know sometimes it's hard. We just came, we're coming through COVID and quarantine stinks and it's difficult to figure out what our lives are supposed to be like now. 
and, and we have hard times, I get it. I think I might have shared with you, I am struggling with a bout of shingles. Ouch is right. Yeah, it's not good. I can't sleep. I try to lay down. I can't lay down. I try to sit up. I hate sitting up. I want to lay down. You don't need to know this, but our recliner broke about a month ago. We threw it away. First time in my adult life I didn't have a recliner. I need some place to just sit up and sleep. I, look, life doesn't always go the way we want it to go. Sometimes we'd like to capture time in the past and, 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 and relive it. But every part of life is a gift. There, there's, there's, there's something to celebrate. Uh, there's something to appreciate. And embodying that is something that we need, I think, to sustain us. We need it to sustain us. And our ideas about God are sometimes not enough to sustain us. We need something, we need some kind of practice that we've done over and over and over and over so that when those times come, there's something else in us that's second nature that we just do. We just go ahead and shift the gear again. Boom, boom, boom. Coming to church is one of those things. I know this seems strange thing to say in a world where we're, you know, we're living in a, at a distance and communicating virtually and such. And so if you're on the live stream, I want you to know I appreciate your faithfulness attending church via the live stream. And if you're here, I want you to know that I appreciate your attendance here. And I think it's important to you. It's not just a matter of what you may or may not get out of this service. It's what you may or may not get out of a life spent committing to this kind of corporate worship. That will etch something into your soul. It will, it will give you a second nature so that when it seems like you're overcome by this, that, or the other experience, right? You feel like, you know, you're rather, rather you know, cut your shoulder off than it do whatever it's doing. <laughs> You've got that second nature to hold on to. Regular church attendance, I think, is one of the most important things. Songs can be powerful. Listen again to the songs in your life. It's okay to repeat things. You don't always have to go on to something new. The repetition, right? That's my favorite TV show. We'll watch it again. That's my favorite movie. We'll watch it again. That's my favorite song. Just put it on repeat. Listen to it for a few times. That's my favorite memory. We'll journal about it. Because that's powerful. And it can help. It can soothe the soul. We receive communion every week. <clears throat> we receive communion every week, not because it's magical, and if you take this, then you're not going to get sick. We receive communion every week because it's about the most mundane thing you could do. <laughs> to eat a little bit of cracker and to drink a little bit of juice. But again, it's in the mundane. Right? It's, it's in the untranslatable actions, like, like music, like communion, that I think 
We embody our faith. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.